Second Kings 20, we've been in a series that we've been calling Against the Odds, and we're talking about how we can have the faith to move forward, uh, even when the odds are against us, and we've been learning about the Old Testament king named Hezekiah, and not a lot uh, is written about Hezekiah uh, outside of the Bible, although inside the Bible, he's one of the uh, greatest uh, uh, kings written about in the Bible, uh, but often he's overlooked, and it's because the odds were against him. But God used him in some great ways. And today we're going to conclude this series in chapter 20 of 2 Kings. And we'll start reading verse number 1. The Bible says this. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and he prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, Remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, go back, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the captain of my people, the God of David, thy father, I Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day, by the way, aren't you thankful for the third day this morning? Thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days. Everybody say add. I'm going to add unto thy days 15 years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. For a few minutes this morning, I'd like to speak to this subject, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, thank you for your mercy. God, we have so much in life that we can be burdened or encumbered by. But Lord, we recognize today that we have so much to praise you for and so much to thank you for. And God, I pray that in the next few minutes that we will be able to look to your word and that you will be able to speak to us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for us and that we would understand uh, what this text means and how we can apply it to our lives and how it is uh, relevant to what's going on in our lives. And God, I pray that you would meet with us in a special way over the next few minutes. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning. How many of you are good at keeping track of time? Anybody like that? You like to keep track of time? How many of you would say, I'm not great at keeping track of time? I can lose track of time. Okay, great. Uh, about 40% of you voted. So be thinking on that question, okay? Uh, are you good at keeping track of time? Uh, last year in the NBA playoffs, there was a controversial uh, play that took place uh, between uh, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And there was this play where uh, the referees added time to the clock. And what they did was, is they watched the replay and, and uh, they decided that uh, they needed to add time to the clock and they added 0.9 seconds to the clock. Just 0.9 seconds. They went from 2.1 seconds left in the game to three seconds left in the game. And you might think, well, what's the big deal if they just added 0.9 seconds left in the game? Uh, well, Derek White for the Boston Celtics hit a tap-in game winner with just 0.1 seconds left on the clock. And so that time 
made all the difference in the world. Now, if you're spiritual, you never root for the Boston Celtics, okay? There's always a season of mourning whenever the Boston Celtics win. But uh, this was 0.1 second uh, left on the clock, and they ended up uh, winning this game. That extra time made all the difference in the world. We come to the very fascinating conclusion of the life of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, where he comes to the end of his life, and the prophet Isaiah says to Hezekiah, you're going to die. And then God, in his mercy and in his power, adds time to Hezekiah's life. Uh, and it wasn't just 0.9 seconds either. The Bible tells us that he added 15 years to Hezekiah's life, that he had this whole new lease on life. He was given a second chance uh, at this uh, life. I was reading this story this week where there was a woman in Texas uh, 10 years ago, uh, and her uh, name was uh, AJ, and she was diagnosed with a lot of different health problems, congestive heart failure, and her health was deteriorating rapidly. And her kidney was only operating at about 11%. She needed a, a kidney transplant. And she had so many physical infirmities, uh, retinal bleeding and, and a numbness in her hands, so she couldn't even get a job to work. And, and she was put on the uh, national transplant list to get a new kidney. And she was waiting and waiting and waiting. And 10 years, she never got the call. In fact, she became so discouraged that she ended up calling them and saying, just take my name off the list. And, and someone encouraged her, no, don't do that. Just keep on uh, holding out hope. And then on Super Bowl Sunday... Uh, 2021, uh, she received the call, and she was on that list, and she got the call, and she got her brand new uh, kidney, and it changed her life forever. And she said this as I was reading her story. She said, I literally have a second chance at life. I've literally been given a second chance at life. I think when we come to 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah could say the exact same thing. Uh, he was getting ready to die. It came to the end of his life, and God gave him in his mercy a second chance at life and added uh, to him this extra time. But the question that we have to consider today is this. What would Hezekiah do with this extra time? What would Hezekiah do with this extra time that God had gifted to him? And the question then by extension comes to us. What will we do with the time that God has gifted to us? Will we spend our time for self-glory and self-purposes? Or will we spend our time for the glory of God living out eternal purposes? See, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time redeeming the time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the end of my life and look back and think, man, I just wasted so much time. I spent so much time on things that didn't really matter, things that were temporary, things that were trivial, rather than focusing on things that are eternal. Uh, the missionary David Brainerd, he said this, oh, how precious is time and how it pains me to see it slide away while I do so little to any good purpose. He says, I don't want to waste my time that God has gifted me. And in this text, I believe we see a valuable picture of how we can have a good recognition of the time that God has given us. Now, before we jump into 2 Kings chapter 20, and before we start teaching through this verse by verse, I think some context is important. As always, context is king. You have to understand the context of the passage in which you are studying. And the primary conflict that characterized Hezekiah's life was the conflict between King Sennacherib and the Assyrian army as they surrounded Hezekiah in the nation of Judah. And we've seen this over the last several weeks that Sennacherib 
was a very powerful king. Uh, the Assyrian army had the nation of Judah surrounded, and uh, he had attacked many other nations successfully. And now he is surrounding uh, Judah. And we saw last week that God, uh, because of the prayer and the faith of Hezekiah, that God preserved the nation of Judah, that he protected them, that the Assyrian army didn't even attack because of God's uh, preservation uh, of this people. Now, there's been some Archaeologists that have discovered some writings from this time, and we saw a couple of weeks ago the, the Taylor prism, uh, that prism that contained a lot of the inscriptions that Sennacherib uh, actually recorded. In one of those inscriptions, I find it fascinating, from the Assyrian army that they uh, inscripted into this prism, is they detail all the conquests that they had of other nations. And so Sennacherib, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew his record and how powerful he was. And so he would write in detail who he captured and, and how he destroyed them and what plunder uh, he would take. But interestingly, when he comes to Jerusalem and when he comes to Hezekiah, all that it says in that Taylor prism, all that it says in that inscription is that he had uh, Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage. He says, I had Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage, but then that's it. He doesn't talk about what happens next. He doesn't talk about eventually uh, destroying them. And here's why. He never did destroy them. Yes, he had them surrounded. And yes, he had Hezekiah trapped, but he did not have Hezekiah conquered. And I believe that that's so encouraging today because you might feel stuck in life and you might feel trapped in life, but that does not mean that you are destroyed in life. In fact, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Hey, just because you are caged does not mean that you are conquered. And so we have to recognize today that even in a season of discouragement, uh, that does not mean that we are defeated. I'm thankful that the scripture says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so even when our circumstances seem bleak, aren't you thankful that our God is bigger than our circumstances? And so uh, Hezekiah might have been surrounded. And Sennacherib might have said, I have you caged like a bird. He was caged, but he wasn't conquered. And so uh, through this time, we see that during all of this conflict that was taking place between the army and King Sennacherib and Hezekiah, that Hezekiah was also battling another battle that we don't learn about until chapter 20. While all this is taking place, Hezekiah is also battling his physical health. During this whole season, this whole conflict where Sennacherib is sending threats and Rabshakeh, the spokesperson from Assyria, is coming and he's issuing threats, while Hezekiah is all dealing with all of this, he's also making doctor visits. He's also going to get tests done. He's also struggling with his physical health. See, even though chapter 20 comes after chapter 19, uh, chronologically, this happens at the same time. And so this chapter is taking place during all this conflict. And Hezekiah is battling his health during all this. Eventually, where uh, uh, Isaiah comes to him, he says, hey, your life is coming to an end. And I believe that it's through this and through chapter 20 uh, that we can see some ways that we can uh, redeem the time that God has given us for his glory. And so if you're taking notes today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you four specific ways that we can be good stewards of the time that God has given us. Would that be all right this morning if we do that? Notice number one today, if you're taking notes, number one is this. We have to evaluate the brevity of life. Verse number one says this in our text. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him uh, and he said unto him, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Uh, how many of you would say this morning that that is some sobering news? He comes to him and says, I hate to break it to you. 
Hezekiah, but your life is coming. To, you are going to die and not live. And then he tells them something interesting. He says, you need to uh, set thine house in order. What was he saying? You need to make sure that you have a plan for what happens after you die. You need to make sure that you have a will to take care of your family. You need to make sure that you have a succession plan in place for your kingdom. You need to make sure that you have your house in order. But most importantly, and ultimately, you need to be prepared to meet your God. Which is a very sobering question that all of us must face this morning. And that is this. Are you prepared to meet God? Because the reality is, is death is standing before all of us today. And we have to take a look within. Am I prepared to meet God? The Bible says this in James chapter 4, verse number 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. We don't know how much time we have left. Life is, is a vapor. That's why the psalmist said, uh, so teach us to number our days that we might uh, apply our hearts unto wisdom. Uh, we cannot think so earthly and temporarily that we miss out on the eternal things and we are not prepared to meet God. The Bible says this in Amos chapter 4, verse number 12. Uh, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel... And because I will do this unto thee, listen to what he says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. This is a question that all of us must face. Am I prepared to meet God? Because the Bible says it is appointed for all men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so we have to recognize today that we have to be prepared. And, and, and the counsel that, that uh, Isaiah gives to Hezekiah is good counsel for all of us today. Get your house in order. Uh, make sure that you are prepared uh, for uh, this that is coming. Now, the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 24, it says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Aren't you thankful for that promise today? And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, I have good news for you today and encouraging news for you today that as followers of Jesus, we do not have to fear death. Uh, we recognize that through Jesus Christ, that everlasting life and eternal life is promised and that death is not the end of the road. It's simply a bend in the road and we can spend forever with Jesus in the presence of God in heaven in a place where there is no more crying and no more sorrow and no more pain. Aren't you thankful for the promise and the hope of heaven this morning that we have? And so when it comes to death, when it comes to the end, that's not something that we have to fear. We have confidence knowing in the word of the Lord that eternal life is promised to those that put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, death is the supreme festival, festival on the road to freedom. Uh, what was he saying? He was saying, we don't have to fear death because we know that we have the promise and the hope of heaven that Jesus is preparing a place for us that we can go. And so when we evaluate the brevity of life, when we uh, understand that life is short, it should, it should motivate us and instill within us a sense of urgency when it comes to the purposes that we have here in this life. It should instill within us a sense of urgency when it comes to the lost around us. Because here's the truth. You don't know how much time you have left, but you don't know how much time your neighbor has left. You don't know how much time your family member has that you've been praying that they would come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know how much time we have left. And so that should spur within us a sense of urgency, recognizing that what we do here and now matters there and then. That's why we're having Open House Sunday. I hate to break it to you, but it's not just about the habit truck. I'm glad we're having the habit truck. It's a great burger, but that's not what the day is all about. The day is about giving us an excuse and an opportunity to be intentional, to go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Why? Because we are evaluating the brevity of life. 
We don't have time to play games. Uh, the Christian life is not a game to be played. It's a war to be waged. And we have to recognize that there's a sense of urgency within us because we don't know how much time we have left. And so we have to evaluate the brevity of life. And that's what Isaiah is confronting Hezekiah with. Now, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Now, something that really is a hallmark characteristic of Hezekiah's life is that he prayed and he had big faith in his God. And sometimes prayer can be something that we've, we can struggle with. And, and I remember when my daughter Liv, she was uh, about five years old and uh, she was really learning how to become a prayer warrior. And uh, we were having prayer for uh, dinner at the family dinner table and she was so upset at her brother Luke and she was so irritated at what he was doing. And she said, uh, uh, dear Jesus, I pray that Luke gets in big, big, big trouble. And uh, that was her prayer. That was what was on her heart. At a young age, she was praying an imprecatory prayer upon her enemy, right? And uh, she, was, she was burdened uh, for her brother. Sometimes uh, prayer is something that we can struggle with. And sometimes uh, it's a labor uh, to uh, prayer. But I want to encourage you, never underestimate the power of prayer. I want you to see how Hezekiah prays here uh, in this moment, starting in verse number two. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Verse 2 says this, then he turned his face to the wall. In other words, he wanted a moment of privacy. He turned to the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight, and Hezekiah wept sore. Now, this is an interesting prayer. It almost seems like a self-righteous prayer. If you remember last week, Hezekiah prayed this beautiful prayer in humility and crying out to the mercy of God. Remember this when he was crying out to God's mercy and I don't deserve it, but God, would you spare us? And now it almost seems like Hezekiah is praying a self-righteous prayer like, God, I've been so good for you. I've done so much for you. But what's interesting is God actually answers his prayer and provides a great miracle in response to this prayer. And so it wasn't uh, so much a self-righteous prayer in pride, uh, because I believe that pride would have short-circuited his prayer. If he was praying in prayer, the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace uh, to the humble. And so I believe that Hezekiah, in a spirit of confusion and in humility, he was wondering why God was bringing his life to a short end. At this time, most commentators say he would have been about 39 years old. And so he's wondering, God, uh, I've done what you wanted me to do. Uh, why, are you bringing, uh, why are you bringing my life to a conclusion here and now? Uh, one commentator George Rawlinson, he put it this way. Hezekiah is conscious that he, will, that he has honestly endeavored to serve God and to do his will. It is to be remembered that under the old covenant, length of days was expressly promised to the righteous, and shortened life was the proclaimed penalty of the wicked doing. And so Hezekiah's self-assertion of his righteous life is thus a sort of laying a hold of God's promises. Uh, in a spirit of brokenness and confusion, Hezekiah is wondering, uh, God, uh, why are you bringing my life to an end? Notice how God responds to this uh, perhaps imperfect prayer. Notice in verse number four, and it came to pass uh, before Isaiah was gone out of the middle of the court. So before Isaiah could even leave the building, before he can even exit, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, turn again, get back in there and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day and thou shalt go up to the house of the Lord and I will add unto thy days 15 years. And I will deliver thee out of the, uh, 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 and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Uh, how does God respond to Hezekiah's prayer? 
He says, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. I'm going to heal you physically. I'm going to deliver you from this attack from the Assyrian army. Uh, I'm going to bless you in a great way. But notice the key at the end of verse number six. Notice what it says. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my uh, servant David's sake. In other words, I'm going to honor the covenant that I made with David and the promise that I made with David. And I'm going to heal you, Hezekiah. But just in case there's any confusion as to why I'm going to do this, I'm not going to heal you because of your self-righteousness. I'm not going to heal you because of the good things that you've done. I'm going to heal you uh, because I want to heal you for my glory. Can I tell you today uh, that the promises of God are not contingent upon who we are? The promises of God are contingent upon who he is. And he says, I'm going to do this not for your glory. I'm going to do this for my glory. And I'm going to bring you uh, this healing. 1 Corinthians 15 verse number 10 says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so even though Hezekiah was confused and weak, uh, the Lord heard his prayer and the Lord honored his prayer. Can I encourage you, never underestimate the power of prayer. Even if you feel as though it's unpolished, even if you feel like, I don't know what to say, that there's great power in bringing your needs before the Lord. Now, I want you to see what happens in verse number eight. Notice what it says. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall the sign, uh, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? Now, what Hezekiah does here is he asks for a sign. He says, wow, this is a great promise, but I need some sort of confirmation. I need a sign that this is going to take place. I want to encourage you. Be very careful when you start to ask the Lord for a sign. Because uh, often in the New Testament, people would ask Jesus for a sign. We need another sign. Even though Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles and demonstrating his deeds, and uh, proclaiming his power. What did the people want? We want another sign. We want another miracle. Give us another show. Uh, and essentially, we want to be entertained. Now, be very careful when you start to ask God for a sign because sometimes asking for a sign means that you are not willing to operate in the realm of faith because you need to see something in order to believe. And, and so uh, Hezekiah, he here... Uh, is justified in doing so because he did not have Jesus physically in front of them. Hezekiah did not have uh, the privilege that we have of having a full access to the completed word of God. And so Hezekiah was doing this. He was going to God's prophet. In other words, he was going to hear from God's word. How, how can I be sure? How can I find confidence in this uh, promise that God has given me to heal me? Okay. Now, notice what God does in verse number 9. Everybody tracking with me so far? And Isaiah said, verse 9, This sign... Shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do uh, the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? Now, what he's referencing here is a sundial. And Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, had established a sundial uh, in the nation of Judah. And Isaiah says, do you want that shadow to go forward 10 degrees or do you want it to go backward uh, 10 degrees? Either way would have been a miraculous sign, a miraculous demonstration of God's power. And so Isaiah says, this is how God's going to do it. He'll let you choose. You can pick. Uh, do you want the shadow to go forward of the sundial or do you want it to go backward? Notice verse number 10. And Hezekiah answered, it is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. Uh, Hezekiah says, I want to go back in time. He says, I want to see if God can make this sundial shadow go uh, back in time, back 10 degrees. At verse 11, and Isaiah, the prophet, cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. And so God, watch this, his mercy, in his mercy and in his love and in his power, he granted Hezekiah the sign. Now, why did God do this? 
Hezekiah didn't need this. God could have said to Hezekiah, hey, listen, I said that I was going to do it. You take my word for it. But I'm thankful that God demonstrates us the same mercy as well. Did you know that God could have said to us, hey, I love you, and I said that I loved you, and so just take my word for it. But God didn't just leave it there. He said, I love you, and so uh, God commendeth his love. He showed his love. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God said, I loved you, and I'm going to prove my love for you. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. I'm going to show my love for you by sending my son to the cross as a picture of his love. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God to show us how much he loves us? loved us not only did he tell us he demonstrated his love for us and so here Hezekiah uh, he uh, requests this sign from the prophet of the Lord and God gives it to him an act of mercy to give him that confirmation uh, in his time of need and that leads us to our third thought today number three is this and this is very important this gets to the heart of the narrative number three don't become proud over what God made possible be very careful in life when you start to feel proud about what God made possible I want you to see how it plays out in Hezekiah's life. Notice verse number 12. It says this. And at that time, Burodak Baladan. Now, that is a fun name to say. And if anyone here is searching for some baby names, I would encourage you to consider <laughs> Burodak Baladan, okay? And it kind of just rolls off the tongue, okay? And uh, verse number 12. And at that time, Burodak Baladan, I'm just going to see how many times we can repeat that, that, that word today. Uh, Burodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon. It's a tongue twister. Sent letters and a present unto King Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And so we have Burodak Baladan from Babylon, and he is sending a gift, a present, to Hezekiah because he heard that Hezekiah was sick. Now, uh, spoiler alert, and just to give you some context, kings in ancient culture didn't just do this because they were being kind. It wasn't like one day Burodak Baladan was just sitting in his palace thinking, oh, I heard Hezekiah was sick. Let's send him a, a gift basket. Let's send him some chicken noodle soup, and let's get him some balloons. And hey, we're just uh, good wishes over there uh, to King Hezekiah. No, the reason that he did this, the king of Babylon, was because he heard that he had been sick, and he saw this as an opportunity to form some sort of alliance with Hezekiah. And so he was sending this good gift because he had ulterior motives. He wanted to have this alliance with Hezekiah. And this is something, of course, that uh, Isaiah the prophet warned against and said, you can't make an alliance with Egypt or Babylon. Uh, this is not something that you should do. And so uh, this king of Babylon is sending this gift to kind of butter up Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was flattered. He was like, wow, the king of Babylon cares about me? The king of Babylon thinks that, uh, thinks that we could be friends, me, Hezekiah, this uh, seemingly insignificant little nation of Judah. He wants to partner with me. And Hezekiah thought that was pretty cool. No, notice how he responds in verse number 13. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them, and he showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. Uh, treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Now, Hezekiah was not just giving them a tour because that's what he always did. In giving them this tour and showing him all that he had, Hezekiah was agreeing to the alliance that the king of Babylon was uh, presenting to him. And Hezekiah thought, man, this is pretty cool that he wants to be friends with me. He wants to align with me. And so uh, he is showing him everything that he had. But I want you to see, do you notice what's a glaring omission in verse number 13? What's missing? 
any glory whatsoever given to the Lord. He did not tell the people of Babylon how good God had been to him. He didn't tell the people of Babylon how God miraculously gave him 15 more years in his life. He didn't tell the people of Babylon how God had spared them uh, from uh, the Assyrian army. He didn't tell them about all the good things God had done for them. Instead, he just boasted in what he thought was his glory. In fact, I want you to see it. Go back to verse 13. Are you still there? Notice what it says. Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things. Skip down. His treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion. All of a sudden, Hezekiah became proud over what God made possible. Can I encourage you today? Be very careful when you start to take credit that belongs to the Lord. It's a strange habit of the human heart to start to feel proud about what we've received by grace. That Hezekiah here is showing off all that he has, and Isaiah hears about this, and he's like, bro, what are you doing? Isaiah comes to him, and remember that they were friends, they were buddies, and they had been through a lot together, and Isaiah's like, why would you show him everything? Why would you want to make an alliance with Babylon? This was an unwise decision. This is something that you should not have done, Hezekiah, and in fact, he pronounces judgment because of this. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 7, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? If God's blessed you, and in his graciousness he's provided for you, and you've received some things from God, then why are you boasting as though you did not receive it, as though you did achieve it? That's exactly what Hezekiah is doing here in chapter 20. Now, it's interesting that Hezekiah looked to God in his infirmity. Did you notice that? When he was sick, what did he do? He turned to the Lord. Hezekiah looked to the Lord in his infirmity, but he looked to himself in his prosperity. And sometimes this is what we can do in life. When we're hurting, when we're broken, God, I need you. God, I need an answer. And God provides. Then we start doing pretty well, and we start thinking, man, I'm doing pretty good. Look at what I've done. Be very careful that you don't become proud over what God made possible. Uh, Isaiah comes in, and Isaiah fronts Hezekiah. He says, because you've done this, there's going to be judgment. And because you've done this, you can read it in verses 14 through 18. He says, Babylon will one day come and take you into captivity. They were coming and looking at all your treasures, scoping out what they could steal from you, Hezekiah. You were showing off your glory, not knowing that this was the enemy coming in uh, in a reconnaissance mission to find out what they could take from you. And we know in history that just a few uh, years later that they would come in and take uh, the children of Israel into Babylonian captivity. Judgment was coming. Why? Because of Hezekiah's pride that lifted him up. Now, this is going to lead us to our fourth thought today. Number four is this, if you're taking notes. Our fourth and final thought is this. We have to consider the next generation. We must consider the next generation. Now, I believe the central idea to the text today of chapter 20 really is all about uh, stewarding our time for God's glory. Hezekiah was given this extra time, but he didn't use this time for God's glory. He used this time to boast about what he thought was great. And if we're going to redeem the time that God has given us, we must consider the next generation. I want you to see how it plays out in our text. You got a few more minutes in here today? Yes. Notice verse 19. It says this. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah. Now this is in response to the announcement of judgment that Isaiah gives. Verse 19. He says, good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? A very curious response from Hezekiah. I want you to see this. Isaiah comes and he says, Hezekiah, there's going to be judgment. Babylon's going to take you eventually into captivity. 
but it's not going to happen while you're king. It's going to happen to your children and their children. And Hezekiah says, good is the word of the Lord. At least it's not going to happen in my days. Hezekiah thought, you know, it could be worse. At least in my time, things are going to be peaceful. At least in my time, things are going to be okay. Yeah, there's going to be problems coming, but I'm not going to be the one to experience it. This was a self-centered response. Now, we might not ever say that in our day. We might not ever say that out loud. Well, at least my problems are, are taken care of, and I don't have to worry about uh, other people. But can I encourage you? When God blesses you, don't think, well, I'm saved, and I'm doing good. And we neglect and forget those people in our community that don't know about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And that we don't consider the children being raised in the Inland Empire without fathers, without mothers, that are hurting and broken, and think, well, at least I'm doing good. My family's taken care of. I have a home in heaven. I'm doing pretty good. See, the Bible says in Philippians that we should not think too highly of ourselves that we ought to think, but then it says this in verse number four of Philippians chapter two, at the end of the verse, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Hezekiah ends his life here, and he says, well, at least it's going to be peaceful in my days. What did he fail to do? Consider the next generation. Now, Hezekiah goes down as a good, godly king who ultimately fell short. Now, you might be saddened by that, or you might be surprised by that, but I would encourage you to not be, because that is exactly the point, that we are all sinners and that we all fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so, yes, Hezekiah was a good godly king who ultimately fell short, just like every other king. David, considered to be the greatest king of all Israel, remember what happened at the end of his life? He used his power to fulfill his own sexual gratification. Solomon, the wisest king to ever live, how did he end his life? Uh, using his power to promote his own agenda. Here is Hezekiah, uh, the most faith-filled king, we could say. And here at the end of his life, he's only thinking about himself. And so all of these kings died thinking about one thing, themselves. But here's the good news. Are you ready for the good news today? There is another king. There is another king who would come from the line of Judah. There is another king that when he was faced with death, he didn't ask for more time like Hezekiah. He submitted to death. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Why? Uh, he recognized that it was his death and his burial and his resurrection that would lead to hope for future generations. And that king is Jesus Christ. And he is the perfect king. Uh, he is the ultimate restorer as king. And Hezekiah came to the end of his life. Hezekiah, watch this, he lived his life with little thought to future generations. Jesus gave his life for future generations. He is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate restorer. In Jesus and Jesus alone, there is salvation and there is hope for eternity. He died so that we could live the future generations. Now, this morning, the clock is ticking. The question is, how will we spend the time that God has gifted us? Will we use it like Hezekiah to promote self-glory? Or will we steward our time for the glory of God? That is the question that we must consider today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.